Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Open your Bibles up to Luke chapter 13 this morning. Luke chapter 13. We're continuing to study uh, God's Word, and, and we are going through the life and the ministry of Jesus. And last week, we, we finished uh, Luke chapter 13. Uh, we looked at verses 22 through 30. And if you were with us last week, that you'll recall that Jesus was asked a question. He was asked the question, Lord, will those who are uh, saved be few? And you recall that, that Jesus answered that question by talking about a narrow door. He started to talk about this, this door that led to salvation, that it was a narrow door, and that it required striving to enter the door. Now, we can immediately say, well, striving, hold on, that sounds like works. Well, last week we remember the word striving there means to agonize over. There is an agony that comes when you come to the door of Christ. There's an agony that occurs because when you come to that door, you have to leave everything else behind. Jesus is not into, you know, 50% submission. He's not into 95% submission. He's into 100% submission. That means you have to leave your, your stuff at the door and you walk through barren, naked, humble, bowing low uh, before him. Uh, we must, as I stated last week, lose our lives in order to save them. Jesus said that himself in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. Well, Jesus said to to us, many will seek, but will not be able to enter. And it wasn't forsake, uh, wasn't because they weren't invited, or it wasn't because that they, did, they weren't good enough to, to come through the door. It was because they were unwilling. Because they were unwilling. And there comes a point in time where the father, the master of the house, as you recall, will get up and he will shut the door. And the invitation is closed now. When you and I die. That's one way this can be fulfilled. When you and I die, the door is closed. And the decision that you made is sealed for all of eternity, whether you walk through the door or whether you stayed on the outside. Your eternity matters on that door and which way you go. Now, we, of course, know the door is not an object. It's a person. His name is Jesus. We learned that in John chapter 10. Jesus is the door. He's talking about himself. He's talking about, do you want, you know, you want to talk about salvation? Well, I'm going to point you to me because I am the only way to the Father. I am salvation, Jesus would say. I am the door that leads to salvation. Those people who would reject Jesus, uh, at some point in their life, the Father would shut the door. And I believe that would be the very last moments of their life when they die. As they take their last breath, the Father gets up and He shuts the door, and eternity is sealed forever. There is also a, you know, a future event that will happen, you know, when the Father will shut the door again, you know, finally on all of creation, after millennial reign of Christ, and you know, He He comes down and He reigns for a thousand years, and 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 you know, it's 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 Christ physically ruling and reigning on earth. And then the Antichrist is released one more time to sway the world. It's a simple thing. We're easily swayed. We are but sheep, right? And as the enemy is, is released one more time to, to, to deceive the world, he deceives many. They come against Jesus, who has been reigning, mind you, for a thousand years. 
uh, you know, don't know how that happens, but, uh, you know, I do in, at the very same time because I know me. And so the reality is, is that at that moment when Christ says enough is enough and he hurls the enemy and, and all who would, um, you know, follow him into the lake of fire forever and the door is shut forever. So there is a eschatological viewpoint that, that this will be fulfilled in, a future point, a a prophetic point in time. Obviously, that's one aspect of this. But there is the personal application of the scripture, which happens when you and I just, just, just when we die, where the door is shut on us. And Jesus will say, it won't matter how many meals you had with brothers and sisters in Christ. It won't matter how many sermons you listened to. It won't matter how many Bible verses you knew or, or anything like that. You can come to Jesus with all these excuses and he's going to say to you, depart from me you worker of evil, because you didn't enter the door. You didn't enter the door. And Jesus says that departure will not go well for you. That departure will not go well for you. It's not pretty. These people will be sent to hell, a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a literal place. Jesus talked about it more than anybody. It's been estimated that one-third of, of Jesus' words to people on earth were about hell. Why? Why one-third? He talked about hell more than he talked about heaven. You know that? Why? Because he came to save. Because he came to save. He wanted to redeem people. So Jesus would say, here is the repercussion for not entering the door. It is a place called hell where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, that is an idiom that talks about suffering, talks about despair. He doesn't want anyone to go there, but you can choose to go there if you like. Jesus is the only way. He is the only one that can bring forgiveness in our life. He's the only one that can cleanse us from our sin. He is the only one that can secure us for all of eternity. And he would point you to himself today. And he would say, look to me. Whether it be for salvation, whether it be for sanctification, whether it be for peace, whatever it might be in your life that you're lacking today, Jesus would say, look to me because I'm the door of everything. So just come, look to me. If you're lacking faith, come to me. You know, if, if you're lacking peace, come to me. Jesus is the door to everything as it relates to the kingdom and to the characteristics that follow, uh, that, that, that accompany those who are in God's kingdom. And he would say, if you're lacking anything, just come to me and I will give you those things. It's available to us. Jesus is telling us the door's wide open for you today. And you can come to him. Well, this is where we pick it up in our text this morning. We, we didn't quite get finished with verses 31 through 35. And so I would ask you to stand. We're going to read verses 31 through 35 of God's word this morning. Luke chapter 13. Beginning in verse 31, it says, At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing." Behold, your house is forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name 
of the Lord. And Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for what you're going to speak into our lives today, Lord. Help us to hear what your spirit would say to us today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. One of the greatest dangers in life, and especially dangerous if you're a Christian, by the way, is the danger of being unwilling as it relates to the Lord. The danger of being unwilling as it relates to the Lord. You're unwilling. You're not willing. You're not, you're not willing to, to do what he says. You're not willing to submit to the, his authority. You're not willing to do what he says. That is super dangerous. That is the most dangerous thing that anyone could ever do in their life, to be unwilling. But yet we're unwilling in a lot of different ways, aren't we? And a lot of those ways are good ways. Nothing wrong with being unwilling. It just depends on what you're unwilling to do. Depends on the subject of the matter, right? So, in other words, if I'm unwilling to take drugs, well, that's a good thing. If I'm unwilling to do that, well, then I'm saving myself from hardship, from difficulty, from being enslaved to something that is meant to destroy me. So, in that context, you know, it, it, it's okay. That's, that's fine. It, it's all right to be unwilling. Um, you know, if I'm unwilling to violate God's word or, uh, you know, to renounce Christ, that's a good thing. That, you know, as it relates to unwillingness, the subject matters. It's all about context, right? But there are a lot of things that being unwilling, the, the unwillingness in your heart is really bad. It's really bad when you're unwilling to receive the gospel. That's, that's like the most dangerous thing you could do. Because we know that there's one way to heaven. It's through the gospels, through Jesus. Right? It, it's really dangerous. It's really uh, dangerous and, and really, you know, not a good, being a good steward to be unwilling to follow God in whatever he would call you to do. It's really, really a dangerous thing to be unwilling to submit to authority. I can tell you that can get you in big trouble, especially when it comes to Johnny Law, right? One time I was driving down the road in Montana, and I w it was early morning, and uh, I, I wasn't a particularly a morning person at that time of my life. And, you know, I was just driving with the flow of traffic. As I could see behind me, everybody was going the same speed, you know, and I was leading them, so I was with the flow of traffic. And, uh, you know, I know it's hard to imagine, but I was speeding. And, you know, it's not that I want to speed, it's just that I don't pay attention to my speedometer, and I have to get somewhere. So that's how that works. But the reality is, is that there was a policeman, and he was upholding the law. And so he saw me out in front of the pack and said, and he singled me out. I don't get it. I mean, I'm thinking I'm going with the flow of traffic here. So as he lit me up and pulled me over, I pulled into a uh, parking lot, and, and I am steaming mad. How dare he pull me over when I'm going with the flow of traffic as it relates to the people behind me? And I... Stop. I don't know what I was thinking. I think the devil came over me in that moment. I slammed my car and just threw it in park, flung open my door, started just steam coming out of my ears, walking back to this guy, and I was going to give him a piece of my mind. Who do you think you are? You know, I was ready to just un, un just, I was going to, yeah. And here's what happened. He immediately reached for his gun 
And he said, get back in your car. Get back in your vehicle. And at that point in time, my unwillingness became total compliance. I saw his hand reaching for his gun, and I became the cat with the tail between my legs, and I beamed it back to my car, got in there, shut the door, put my seatbelt on, and I was just like this. <laughs> now, interesting enough, the tables turn. He now, steamy coming out of his ears, comes up to my window in my car and, and literally gives me a piece of his mind. That's not how I saw that going, but that's how it went. Here's the thing is, my point is that had I been unwilling to get back in my vehicle, stuff could have gotten really, really, it was really dangerous. It would have been really dangerous for me to do that. It would have gotten real very quickly. I'm thankful that I was willing to do that. There are times where being unwilling is a good thing. And there are times where it's a colossal mistake to be unwilling. One time, you know, when I was about 26 years old, the Lord put in my heart to start tracking my cholesterol. And I thought, like, that's odd. I don't have, you know, any cholesterol issues, and, and I don't know of anybody in my family that has cholesterol issues. You ever just do stuff and you don't even know why you're doing it? Like, you're just like, I have no clue why I'm doing this, but I'm doing it. And, and you know, honestly, I, I just started tracking my cholesterol. And I didn't even know what I was tracking, to be honest. I just thought, hey, I should track my cholesterol for whatever reason. And, and, and it was an impression that I had in my heart to do. Didn't, doctor didn't tell me to do it. Family didn't tell me to do it. I didn't know that we had issues in my family or anything like that. It, wasn't, it was just totally random. So I started tracking my cholesterol. You know, and when I was about 30, in my early 30s, you know, I had gained weight and gained weight and gained weight. And the, and the Lord started to talk to me about my diet. He said, Tim, you know, uh, you need to get your, your, your uh, flesh in submission and, and stop just doing whatever you want to do. And so the Lord would talk to me about it, and I'd be like, yeah, whatever. You know, you know how you do that to the Lord? Yeah, whatever. Um, oh, am I the only one that does that? Oh, no. I, I, you do it too. Okay. So, so the, the reality is, is that I was, you know, having this long dialogue with the Lord about my, uh, my diet. And, and here's the thing is, he told me, Several times. Tim, get your diet in control. Tim, get your diet in control. It wouldn't be until May of 2012 when I got diagnosed with, or maybe March of 2012 when I got diagnosed with heart disease that I really understood any of that. That I understood. But here's the deal. I was unwilling to heed God's word. I was unwilling to do what he said. I thought I was fine. Oh, no, no, Lord, I'm good. Now, God saw something completely different, didn't he? He saw that, Tim, I'm having you do something right now that you're going to do later. I know you're going to do it later, but I'm going to put it in you to do it now so I can show you, you know, when you look back, how dumb you are and how disobedient you are and how unwilling you are to do what I say so I can show you just how much of a sheep you really are and how stubborn you are. You're more like a goat, actually, in this case. And so... Now I look back on my life and what are the things I'm doing? Tracking my cholesterol, watching my diet. God had already done that. If I would have just submitted to his word way back when, I'm 100% convinced I wouldn't have heart disease today. You know what that is? Natural consequence for disobedience. Natural consequence for being unwilling to listen to God. You know, and I wonder if you're in that place today or if you've experienced something that, like that in your life where he's told you, hey, 
Don't do that. Does God have our best interest in mind? Absolutely. Does the enemy tell us that he doesn't? Yeah, the, does the flesh say, who cares? Let's live for today, for tomorrow we die. That's the mentality, right? And yet, if we would just submit to God, he has our best interest in mind. And if you're in that situation today, and he's speaking to you, and he's telling you, he wants you to be willing. He won't force you. He didn't force me. In, in fact, even today, I could continue to do whatever I want. He's not going to make me do it. But there are consequences. That's the context of what we're dealing with in these last few verses in um, Luke chapter 13, where God is saying, you're unwilling. You are unwilling. He tells uh, the, the, the whole nation of Israel, in, in, in verse 34 here, he tells them, you, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often... Would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? But you were not willing. You were not willing. God is telling us today that there is, there is a, we play a role in, in this thing of salvation, play a role in this thing of sanctification. We have to be willing. He's not going to push you through the door. You have to willingly walk through it. He's not going to make you conform to the image of Christ. If you've walked through that door, you have to be willing to. And so what God would say to us today is in the form of a question, are you willing? Are you willing? That's the title of my message this morning. And what we see in our messages, what we see in our, our text here, is that there are some that are willing and there are some that are not. Jesus clearly tells us that there are repercussions for those who are not willing as it relates to him and his will for our life. Did you know God has a will for your life? Did you know that he has a plan for your life? Of course, we say it all the time. I mean, it comes out of our mouth like it's no big deal. Yeah, oh yeah, God's got a plan. But are we living that way? Listen, you don't believe something if you're not living as if it's true. You can say it with your lips, like Jesus said, you're giving me lip service. You're saying the right things, but you do not believe them. So I would ask you, do you believe that today? Do you believe that God has a plan for your life? Do you believe that no matter what you encounter in life, that in the big picture, God is at work and that we can trust him in it? Do you believe that today? I do believe it. And, and there are times, I'm not going to say that, that it's not harder to believe that at times than it is others, right? When we get hammered with something and the circumstances come on our lives and we feel burdened down, that's, that's when Jesus would say, hey, 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 take my yoke upon you for my burden is easy. My load is light. Get the load off. You got, you, you're going to go through stuff, but you just give it back to me. And that's how we deal with it. But God has a will for your life. And if he has a perfect will and it's for your good, then our job is simply this, to submit to it. Our job is simply to say, God, I surrender, I submit to you, I want your will in my life. It comes down to being willing. It comes down to a, a, a full-on you know, willingness to do what he says. We begin to look at this passage with some, I believe, willing parties. Look with me at verse 31. It says, 
at the very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. It was at that very hour. Well, what very hour is that? The very hour that Jesus had just got done talking about the door. The hour where he had just answered the question, are few saved? He really didn't answer the question, but he talked about salvation. And the reality is that the amount of people that will, will um, be saved or the amount of people that will walk through the door, it's a willingness. And so then, in that moment, after he does, he's done talking about the door and the reality of, of being on the wrong side of eternity and being on the right side of eternity, then, at that very moment, these Pharisees approach him and they say, Jesus, Jesus, you've got to get out of here. Now, it was some Pharisees. You know, and so we have to wonder, well, who are they? Who are these Pharisees and what is their attitude towards Jesus? Are these Pharisees friend or foe? Are they followers or haters? Sorry. Uh, we, we don't know. We don't know whether they're followers or, or haters. Um, some would believe that this group of Pharisees hated Jesus. And they wanted to remove him from the face of the earth. And so uh, those in this camp would say that the Pharisees either made up this excuse about Herod wanting to kill him to just get him out of the area, to get him pushed back to Jerusalem to where they could corner him and then the muscle could take care of him, you see? That's one belief about, about this. I ascribe to a different, a different set of um, thinking as it relates to who these guys might be. I believe that these guys are genuine Pharisees who had considered, you know, the, 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 the well-being of Jesus. You don't think that every Pharisee rejected Jesus, do you? Because we know the Scriptures tell us otherwise. Not every Pharisee was, was uh, you know, against Jesus. Uh, you, you encounter the very first one, the Pharisee, and oh, by the way, the teacher of Israel. The teacher. You know, he is the rabbi of rabbis, Nicodemus. Nicodemus would come to Jesus early on in his ministry, and he would come to him and say, Jesus, in, in John chapter 2, John chapter 3, verse 2, it says, this man came to, to Jesus by night, and he said to him, Rabbi, listen, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus wasn't the only one that believed Jesus was from God. Nicodemus was one of many who believed that Jesus was a prophet, that he was at the very least someone from God that was sent to do something. He didn't fully reject him. He heard him. It was by night. Why? Because it wasn't so popular to believe in Jesus. It wasn't so popular to, to come and, and submit yourself to Jesus. Why did he do it at night? Because it was in secret. He came at night in secret, believing in Jesus. Now, we'll find out if he's in heaven or not. But he came and he said with his own lips, we believe you're from God. It was we, many other people. John chapter 12, verse 42 tells us, nevertheless, Many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. 
many of the authorities believed, and yet they were afraid of man. And oh, what a place you will be put in as well. Will you cower to man, or will you stand for Jesus? These people believed in Jesus, but they were afraid to say it. You know, my Bible says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. Again, you only believe something to the point in which you let it work out in your life. If you're ashamed of the gospel, then do you really believe that it's the power of God unto salvation? Paul would say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. The fear of man is a snare. Yes, and we see this today. We see it in our text today. It's the fear of man that they're trying to put in Jesus. That they're, Jesus, Herod, Herod is coming after you. And we see the response of Jesus. Go tell that fox what I'm doing. And I'm not going to stop doing it. Because I don't, I don't answer to him. I answer to God. And if you want an example of how to deal with, with this fear of man issue, you look to Jesus. Jesus did it perfectly. We don't look to other people. Oh, but, but Tim didn't say anything in that moment. Maybe Tim's struggling with the fear of man in that moment. And maybe if you were to step into that moment and say, hold on a second, I need to stand up for Jesus here. This is wrong. Hey, you be led by the Spirit as it relates to that. But I'm just saying, don't let the fear of man stop you from, from, from giving the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation for those to believe. Many people believe in Jesus. Yeah, when Jesus was buried, you know, it was, it was Joseph of Arimathea, a Pharisee, that would come and he would request Jesus' body. Oh, he did, it, he did it openly. He risked everything. He risked everything to go and honor Jesus and, his, and, and to bury his body in his tomb that no, no other body had ever laid in before. He was, Joseph of Arimathea was not just a Pharisee, but he was part of the elite group of, group of the Sanhedrin. This guy risked everything to do that. It's not every Pharisee rejected Jesus. Many of them did. But I believe these men are part of the group that didn't, and they are warning Jesus about a legitimate issue that is happening. This is not made up. They're willing to put themselves at risk for the sake of Jesus. They didn't have to. But it was their, their obedience, it was their, their adoration to him, it was their service to him, it was their, 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 their heart's connection with Jesus that led them to do this. They believed in Jesus and who he said he was. And they had, although they had an incorrect view of what the Messiah would do when he would come, you know, they were expecting him to set up his kingdom. And we can't have him get hurt because <laughs> we need him to set up the kingdom now. And so, Jesus, you better depart from here. But, but listen, they risked it all. They came in front of a crowd and they said, Jesus, you should depart from here. They risked their status with men. They risked their livelihoods. They risked their, risked their friendships. They risked it all for the sake of Jesus. Are you willing to do the same? Are you willing to, 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 to trust Jesus to the point, to, no matter what the point is, of whatever he asks you to do, no matter what it costs you, are you willing? Listen, you can't love someone 
with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind and not be willing to warn them about threats that arise. You can't love somebody and then say, I'm not willing to tell you. You know, that's, you know, as it relates to the gospel, if you truly love people, you're going to tell them whether they want to hear it or not. Hey, Jesus died for you. He loves you. And the reason I'm telling you this is not because I want you to feel bad. It's not because I want you to, uh, you know, become more righteous. It's because I care about you. I love you. And it's my love that compels me to do so. It's their love that compelled them to do this. They were worried about Herod Antipas coming after Jesus. Jesus was in the region of, of Galilee now. He had crossed the Jordan. Remember, we looked at John chapter 10 at the end. He crossed the Jordan. He's moving from village to city and, or to village to town, and he's, he's teaching and, and doing miracles and these different things, but he's in Galilee. In Galilee, the region is being ruled by Herod Antipas. At that time, who is Herod Antipas? Herod Antipas is, is the son of Herod the Great. And he was the one that killed John the Baptist. He was the one that, that John had come to him embold, emboldened by the Spirit, and he said, Herod, you're wrong for taking your brother's wife and marrying him. That is unlawful. What are you doing? Why are you doing this? And you remember, he took, Herod, he took John in and he put him in prison. And he left him in prison. And it was at the birthday party of Salome, his, I guess, niece, who danced provocatively before him. I, different time, different, well, maybe not, I don't know. Maybe that happens today, who knows. But the reality is, is that, you know, she, she Herod, in, in the moment of all of this, of her, you know, whatever erotic escapade that she was doing, he said, I'll give you anything. She went back to her mom, Herodias, and she said, mother, he, he says I can give him anything. What should I tell him I want? And she, you know, the faithful advisor Oh, well, let's ask for John the Baptist's head. Now, Herod had kind of developed some kind of a relationship with, um, with John the Baptist, and he was saddened by the request, but that didn't stop him. He didn't love John. He, he felt bad for the request because he knew that he was going to give his life, and he didn't do anything wrong because he knew he was in the wrong. And yet, he followed through with it because Herod was more concerned about position and, and people and the way that people looked at him. He was more worried about, you know, keeping the peace at all costs than standing for anything. That's the kind of man we're dealing with here. And now he wants to kill Jesus. Why? Because his position is going to be challenged. Because Jesus is not someone who's going to submit to the words of man. Jesus is going to say, hey, I'm going to continue to do what I'm doing regardless if you like it or not. That was his response already. We already see that. He knows this. And so Herod's going to kill him because Jesus is creating quite a bit of ruckus. And these guys' job, by, you know, Herod was appointed by Rome to be the ruler there, and his job was to keep the peace with his people, which the Jews didn't consider Herod to be his people because he wasn't fully Jewish. You know, and so the reality is, is that from day one, Jesus' life has been, you know, uh, you know, threatened by the Herods. His dad, when he was a baby, was going to kill him. You know, Herod's dad, Herod the Great, wanted to kill Jesus. This is no different. And so, uh, you know, the people bring this, this threat to Jesus, and 
And Jesus, look how he responds to him in verse 32. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Jesus had a complete disregard for his own life here. He didn't say, did you see Herod? And then, you know, you just seen dust on the road. No, he wasn't afraid of him. He wasn't afraid of him at all. He's like, look, my life is not my own. I'm submitted to a bigger plan that I'm going to follow and I'm going to be completely obedient to. Jesus was obedient to the Father's will to the point of death. That's what it means to be willing. Jesus was willing to do this. He said, go and tell that fox, that fox, that sneaky, sly destroyer. He is a sneaky, sly destroyer. That's what he meant by that. He wasn't being disrespectful. He was just calling him what he was. A sneaky, sly destroyer who kills innocent people, namely John the Baptist, for standing up for what the law said, for what God said. Jesus tells these Pharisees, go and tell him, that I'm going to continue to do the work of my Father. And I will complete my course even unto death. Oh, but by the way, my, de- my course will finish on the third day when I rise again from the dead because I will not stay dead. You know, this is an understanding of God's Word, an understanding of who the Father is. And Jesus says, listen, I, I know that I- it's going to cost me something to follow God's will, but at the end of the day, I will not stay in that grave. I will rise again from the dead. It was prophetic. It was promised. Uh, David wrote about it in Psalm 16.10. He told Jesus that his body shall not see corruption, that, that Jesus was going to rise again from the dead. And that promise is for you and I today, that we too shall rise just like he rises. His course was finished on the third day. Your course is finished when you shut your eyes for the last time, when you breathe your last breath. Your course is finished. You have Finish the race. Now you obtain the prize. But until that day, we run as if to win, right? We press on. We don't, we don't let the world hold us down. We keep running. And Paul would say, you run right out of your clothes. You don't allow anything to stop you from doing God's will. You do it. And you run hard. And Paul said, I want to be poured out like a drink offering I'm going to give everything I have. I am sold out to him. Everything that I have. Jesus understood that death was not the end. It's simply a vehicle that's being used to carry us from this life to eternity. Simply that. For some, it'll be an unpleasant ride. And yet, for those who believe in Jesus, it will be the beginning of the best days you've ever experienced. When you take your last breath, the determining factor is what you do with Jesus, whether you believe or in him or reject him. I want to draw attention to the willingness of Jesus to put his own life on the line to follow the Father's will. That's the kind of willingness that you and I have to have. If we're Christians, that means we're followers of Christ. You know, Paul told us, you know, in, in Galatians 2.20, that we died. We were crucified with Christ. It's no longer you that lives in your life. 
You, know, you don't wake up in the morning and go, man, what am I going to do today? It's not your life. Man, Lord, what are we going to do today? What do you want me to do today, Lord? You know, you jump out of bed. Attention, Lord, what would you have me to do today? You're his soldier in this world. This is not your life. This is not your plan. This is not your will. This is his life, his plan. He paid for it, and it's his will that should be done in your life. Now, that brings up a big point. What is the will of God? What is the will of God for my life? Man, I don't know. What's the will of God? And you know what? You, you start to like, you know, light a candle, sit in your room at night. It's all dark out, and you just stare at the candle. You're like, what is the will of God? And you go into this big, you know, next thing you know, you know, you don't even know anything about anything. That's what people do when it comes to the will of God. They just totally get lost. They get entrapped in their own selves to the point where they're like, man, I don't understand. You know what the Bible says about that? The Bible says that that's foolishness. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, that would suggest that if we don't understand what the will of the Lord is, that it's foolishness. It would suggest that it, the will of the Lord is easily understood, right? That's what he's saying. And yet, we struggle so hard sometimes to understand the will of God. You know why? Because there's a battle going on. Your will and his will. And what happens is we get all confused because we have all these desires and aspirations and we're saying, but Lord, I want to do this and, and Lord, is this your will? We're asking God to get on our plan, really. That, that, let's just call it what it is. Hey, God, I want you to get on my plan so that I can go do this and I just need your peace, that's all. And the Lord says, well, hold on, that's not my plan. And now you've got this big issue. You know, you're like, oh man, what am I supposed to do? Now I don't have peace. I, want, I believe, you know, I, I want to go that way, but, you know, I don't have peace about it, and you get all uh, upset. And, and sometimes it's not even the, the fact that God doesn't want you to go. It's the fact that now is not the right time, right? And, and so we can get ourselves in this big, you know, I, I don't know, just confusing, you know, minutia of stuff that is, I don't even know if that's a word, but I made it up. But, you know, you can get yourself so confused and so irritated Trying to discern the will of God, that's what the enemy would have you do. He would have you to get to that place where you just throw your hands up in the air and say, I'll give up. So hard, Lord. I don't understand. I've been there. Hey, been there, done that. I, I'm speaking from experience. So, so, you know, the reality of it is, is God is saying you need to die. You need to die to yourself. You need to submit to me. You need to let me do what I'm going to do. And it's in my timing. And I know that sometimes that doesn't work out. You know, you want it bigger, faster, stronger. You want it quicker. You want it, you know, you want it to look like this and it looks like that. And God says, well, yeah, that's my plan though. You know, we, we expect when God's in something that it's going to be perfect and that, you know, there's not going to be any issues with it. And it is perfect in and of itself as it relates to what he wants to do in his will. But the reality is that we are not perfect. And this world is not perfect. And so whatever he calls us to do is not going to look perfect, although it is. Does, does that make sense? Like, it's going to look messy, but it's going to be right. You know, when, when we start following God's will, we think, well, there's no way I could fail. What if God's will is for you to fail? Whoa, did you just say that? <laughs> fail? How could God fail? Maybe God's plan is for you to fail 
so that you can learn to know him in a different way? Are you willing to fail to submit to his will? Are you willing to go through whatever he asks you to go through to know him the way that he wants to reveal himself? I don't pretend to um, understand why God reveals himself the way that he does, but, he, but what I know is that he knows better than I do. And if I would just get out of the way and just surrender to him and let him do that in my life, man, my life would be, it's not going to be perfect. It's going to be messy. But if I'm, if I'm following his will, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with it being messy. I'm okay with the, the struggle and the difficulty and all that kind of stuff because ultimately I believe that he's in control and I believe that he's at work in my life. If we could get to that place, and it's not a difficult place to be if you're willing to surrender. My prayer has been for the last three or four weeks, Lord, I want to surrender. God, I want to surrender. Lord, help me to surrender more. Because I realize that the reality is, is that there's too much of me alive still. I don't, want to, I don't want to live according to my plan. I want to live according to his plan. And you know, whatever that means for me, and whatever that means for you, you want to grow in God? You've got to submit. You want to grow in the Lord? You've got to surrender. You want to know his will? You've got to let go of your will. That's the reality, and that's why we struggle with knowing God's will is because we're holding on to what we want. And we're holding on to, you know, the lifestyle, the relationships, whatever it is. And the Lord would just say, it's simple. Just follow me. That's what he told the disciples. Hey, just follow me. But what about my job? What about my livelihood? What about my family? What about the gazillion questions you would have? What about my 401k? What about my health insurance? Jesus would say, don't worry about that. Just come on. Faith. That's faith. I don't understand, you know, why I don't get that yet in my life. Come on. That's all he wants. Just follow him. Jesus was willing to do that, no matter what the Father told him to do. Submit to his plan. Will you respond to the circumstances and to everything that's going on in your life the same way Jesus did? Here's how he responded. Verse 33, nevertheless. One word, nevertheless. And in that contains everything. Nevertheless, it doesn't matter what I'm going through. It doesn't matter the dangers that I face. It doesn't matter, nevertheless. I'm going to keep doing what I'm supposed to do. Nevertheless. That should be our response to everything that we face in life. Yes, it's difficult. Nevertheless, I will follow. That's what he said here. Are you willing? Not everyone is. Jesus said, you know, Jesus said the word Jerusalem there at the end of, the, end of verse uh, 33. He said, man, nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the, the following day. I'm going to do God's will no matter what, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. He understood the scriptures. And then it was like, 
this is how I imagine this portion of Scripture to come out. Jesus would say, it's impossible for a prophet to perish away from Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You guys kill the prophets and the ones that God sent. And it is in passion, and I believe Jesus is revealing his heart here for us, not just Jerusalem. But I think that triggered something in his heart to say, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Oh, Martha, Martha. When Jesus says your name twice, he's like, he, he's like letting it loose, man. He wants to get intimate. Like when your mom said your name twice, you were in big trouble. Like she said your whole name, you were like big trouble. When Jesus says, you repeat your name twice, he's like, he's like, it's time to get intimate, guys. Timothy, Timothy. You know, Ron, Ron. Kevin, Kevin. When he says your name, he's about ready to say something Profound, and it's not exactly a compliment. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, he's grieved by, by the fact that the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? You are not willing. Listen, much like the people of America, the people of Israel were not willing to hear the word of God when it was contrary to their will. And so rather than surrender, they kill the prophets and the messengers. Talk about being unwilling. Our unwillingness can drive us to do some incredibly debaucherous things. You can be redeemed and be, do, do some incredibly debaucherous things because you want to. Because it's your will you're following, not his will. That's why you have to be careful about, about this willingness thing. Here's what I want you to understand, though. Do you know that your unwillingness does not repel the love of God? Like, no matter how unwilling you are, no matter how deep you dig your heels in, and no matter how you know, high you lift your arms up to Him, shaking your fists at God, you do not repel Him. He loves you. He loves you as much as He loves the person that's fallen on their face, that's giving Him worship, that's surrendered their lives to them, to him and doing everything that he's called them to do. He loves us the same. Is that crazy? Because I can tell you right now, that's not the way that I look at the world. That's not the way that, when, when, I, when I love people, there's got to be some reciprocalness, right? There's got to be something coming back. Otherwise, it's going to be really hard for me to die to myself to love that person. And yet, God doesn't struggle with that at all. He just loves us. He loves us right where we are. And he is not repelled in an instant here by the unwillingness of the nation of Israel. He's not repelled. His love has not gone um, cold. He's not gone cold towards uh, you know, America and the fact that we are rejecting what he says and taking his word off things and, and you know, you know, doing all the things that we're doing that are debaucherous. He still loves us. And he still wants us to know him. And that's Jesus' heart for these people. He, he, he talks about their heart's condition towards God. You kill the people that I send to you. You slaughter them. And yet I still love you. I, I would have just gathered you all up like a hen would gather her chicks. I was at John's house yesterday and we were out watching his chickens. It was awesome. Because he has this big, big hen and and then he has these little chicks that have just hatched. And, and 
And so we let him out, and he was going to feed him and all this stuff. And we got all the kids, you know, the Elsa and, and, and Jude and Silas and crew all out there, and, and they're trying to get these little chicks. And the, the mother hen is just squawking, making this pitch noise, and they would just come right back to her because she was trying to protect them from us. She would, at one point, John talked about how she would just bring them in and they would just go right underneath her and just sit right underneath her and she would just, you know, kind of make sure they're tucked up in there. Why? She's protecting them. When Jesus says, how I long to just gather you as a hen would gather her chicks, what he's saying is, I want to put you underneath me so I can cover you. It's an incredible picture of what Jesus is saying here. I will take the beating for you. I'll take the damage. Just, uh, you got to come under me though. You're not willing. You're not willing to, to come underneath my covering and therefore I can't protect you. If you want to be rogue and you want to go out, you are going to get destroyed. Not just physically, but spiritually forever. But I want to gather you and bring you under me and I want to cover you. It's the only way you can live. Who is he trying to protect them from? Interesting parallel, interesting picture that he's painting here from the fox. The fox goes after the chicks. The fox goes after the chicken. And Jesus is saying, there's a fox in the world and he is sneaky and he is sly and he's a destroyer. And I just want to cover you. And I'll take the beating for you. I'll let the fox hammer me down so that you don't have to experience that. Because I want to give you life and that more abundantly. That's what Jesus is saying here. In this entire picture, he started out in verse 31 and he's brought the whole picture full circle all the way down here. Are you willing? You have to be willing to let me cover you, to protect you, to take the fall for you. He did that on the cross. He was crucified for you. He was beaten and brutalized and his back opened up, sides split open, hands and feet pierced, head, blood pouring down from the, from the thorn of, uh, crown of thorns that was pushed upon his head. And he said, I'll take all that for you. Then the wrath of God poured out and none of us even have a clue what that was, what that even looks like. And Jesus said, I'm the head and I'll take it. Great picture here. They were not willing. It's a tragedy. And some are not willing. Some are not willing. Jesus says, if you're not willing, let me give you the bad news. Verse 35, behold, your friend, your house is forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Behold, your house is forsaken. Forsakenness, desolate, empty. The nation of Israel had rejected God and therefore he left them empty. He left them empty. He departed from the temple long ago. Do you know that? The Spirit of God had departed from the temple. Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 7. I have forsaken my house. I have abandoned my heritage. I have given the beloved of my soul into the hands of her enemies. You want to talk about a tragic day in heaven. It was a Revelation chapter 7. There was 30 minutes of silence in heaven. I wonder how much, 
how many minutes of silence there were in heaven in Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 7, when the, the glory of God departed from the temple because the people would not submit. They were unwilling to worship God the way that he called them to and to not stay away from idols and to obey his word. And he departed. Not that he didn't love them anymore. He still loved them. He has a plan for Israel. His plan is called Revelation. And that's when God will deal with Israel, the nation of Israel. Right now, God is dealing with you and I as Gentiles. And when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in and, and what I believe to be pre-trib rapture, when that happens, then what happens is God starts to deal with the house of Israel as he takes his church out of the way so that he can focus on Israel. He didn't depart, depart from, he departed from them, but he will focus on the nation. And that's what he's telling here. You will, uh, you know, there'll be, uh, there'll, there, you will see me again. But it won't be until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus is quoting Psalm 118.26, Messianic prophecy, speaking about the second coming of Christ. And when they see him and, and, and the reality of who he is, and they realize, they've already realized, halfway through the tribulation period, the eyes of the Jews are opened up and they flee because they see the abomination of desolation was spoken of by Daniel in the holy place where he declares himself to be God and he, and. The Jews, for in that moment, the scale fall from their eyes and they realize what had happened, that Jesus Christ was really the Messiah. And so they flee. What, I went to you know, the place where, they, where many believe they're going to go, Petra. Awesome. Caves and, and mountains and stuff. It would suck to live there, I'm just saying, but it's kind of cool. It's really cool to visit and, and, and I like caves and stuff, but I wouldn't want to stay overnight in there. But, it was, but, you know, we believe that that's where they'll go to hide. And, man, those, the, 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 the caves and stuff, they're just everywhere. You could hide in there for days. You'd never, no one would find you if you really go back in there. It's incredible. Jesus is telling them that there's repercussions for not submitting, for being unwilling. Nation of Israel, they were unwilling. And he says, your house is forsaken. You know, God doesn't want people's houses to be forsaken. He wants people's households to be submitted and to be saved. That's what he wants. But he won't make you. He won't make your house submit to him. He won't make your house submit to his will. He won't make your house operate the way that it's supposed to. That's your job, to submit to him and surrender to him and do what he says. He's given you the Holy Spirit to do that. He's empowered you to be able to live the way that he's called you to live. Now, your job is simply to surrender to him and whatever he wants. I don't know about you, but, but I want to be willing to accept whatever God places in my life. I want to grow to a place where no matter what happens to me, I want to be, you know, I want to be like Jesus, but, but I think that's like as it relates to the way that Paul lived his life and the fact that if I'm bit by a snake, that will kill people instantly when they're bitten, that I would just shake it off into the fire and I would just keep going about my business because I believe that God's in control. That's how I want to live my life. That's how, that's how we can live our lives. We have examples of that in the Bible where a little boy would stand up to a giant and he would say, my God is greater. My God is bigger. He has a plan and I will not submit to you. I will not fear you. And he would stand up and, 
and there's, there's a, an army of men behind him that you can hear the clanking of their, their, their armor because they're afraid. And this little boy would step on the field and he would say, come on, with a slingshot. That's the kind of faith I want to have. That's the kind of faith God wants us to have. We just got to surrender to him, believe in him, and be willing to do whatever comes in our path, to be willing to trust him in those moments. God wants to challenge you, and he is going to challenge you to live that way. He's going to challenge you to be willing to submit to him in, 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 in crazy ways. You know, Kevin and his wife are moving to Utah. That's crazy. You want to be a Christian in Utah? But you know what? Listen. He believes God called him to do it. He's taken, taken the steps of faith, no matter what that means. That's how we're called to live. Are you willing? You have to answer that question. And if you're not, then you know what? Today, ask God to help you be. Lord, I want to surrender, but, I, but, but help me to know how. And he would just lead you right to the cross. And he would just say, here, die right here, would you? Would you just lay down with Jesus and let him rise you back up again? and fill you with the faith that you need to, li to, to, to live that way? That's what he wants for you. That's what I want for my life, and that's what you want for your life. And so we're all in agreement here. God, us, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, we're all in agreement that that's how we want to live. Amen? Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning. We thank you, Lord, for giving us the power to live the life of the gospel, and we thank you for the power that it is in our lives to save us. I pray for my brothers and sisters that I do my, for myself this morning, Lord, that you would help us to be willing in every aspect of our life to surrender to you, Lord, to be about your will, Lord, to, to set aside our own desires, Lord, to set aside what, all these things in our, in our lives that might hinder us from um, what you want to do in our life. And I pray by the power of the Spirit, even right now, Lord, that you would quicken our hearts to be willing to step into the places that you have for us. No matter what that means, Lord, help us to be courageous in our walk with you, Jesus. Help us, help fear to flee from our lives even right now, Lord. I just pray peace upon every person in this place as your spirit is at work right now that you would help us surrender the things that are causing us heartache, that are ca causing us indigestion, the things that Maybe they're big things, Lord, and they're hard to let go, but Lord, would you help us today to surrender? Your will be done. That's our prayer, Lord. We pray that you would just flood us with your love, and as we close in this last song, Father, that you would draw all men to yourself, maybe for those that don't know you, Lord, that you would help them to come to know you this morning, that they would simply pray a prayer that would say, Jesus, I believe in you. I want my sins forgiven. I have sinned against you, and I want to be cleansed this morning. I want to be forgiven. I, 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 I turn away from my sin, and I turn to you today, and I want newness of life that you offer through the cross. I believe that you died and rose again from the dead, and I am making you my Lord and Savior even right now. In Jesus' name, and Lord, for the rest of us, let us have faith. Fill us with faith. Flood our hearts. Baptize us in your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.